This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes. He remains a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in his co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. AJ, we have been presented with a 24-team playoff structure, which means maybe hockey is close at hand. We might be able to see some action before... Uh, rolling the carpet over the season that uh, was commuted because of this uh, pandemic that we've been going through. So a glimmer of hope. This this is an interesting structure for me. They have decided to go with four buys for the top four teams in each conference, and then they've got the next eight teams in each conference seeded by points percentage. And it's revealed some very interesting matchups. And and the first round of the, the uh, playoff for the teams that aren't the top seeds is going to be a five-game series as opposed to the usual seven-game series. I suspect it's because they want to keep it kind of in line with the round robin that they're going to have for the top four teams in each conference. That's the best I can come up with because if they go seven-game series there, some of these teams in the top four seeds, they might be idle for a week before uh, getting together with the other clubs in the next round. So that's my take on that one. And, And they did a vote for the the playoff structure only two teams opposed at tampa and carolina they have their own reasons for doing so which we can get into a little bit i suppose but uh, i'm curious to know what you think about all this and uh, first of all do you like the playoff structure that's been laid out well number one for me is just hockey like let's play some hockey i i'll start there so i'll take whatever we can get at this point um it's it's an interesting proposal the the thing I like about it is that about the 12th team in each conference cutoff is seems fair to me in terms of, you know, teams that were really in the mix. Like the only team that maybe wasn't really going to have a shot in their conference, you know, maybe Chicago, which will be the 12 and Montreal, which will be the 12 in, in their end. But like Florida at 11 was it 78 points like so they were definitely still in the mix so i think it does a good job of kind of saying like okay these are the teams um scrapping the regular season makes sense like to, you know we heard plenty from guys in san jose who were like 
why are we going to go back and play 10 games and then, you know, risk of getting hurt and all that. Um, you know, same with the guys in Detroit. So, um, I think that the 12 is, is, is good. Um, you know, I'm a little hesitant on the, the round Robin for the top four teams while the others play like elimination level contests. You know, I'm, I'm not totally sold on that, but, um, you know, it might be the best way to format, like you said, with with 12 teams. It's just interesting that you'd have, you know, eight eight teams of the 24 playing essentially important games for seeding, but not, you know, not life or death playoff caliber games necessarily. While the other 16 teams are all playing those more uh, those more important like lose and go home games. So, and and really, AJ, AJ, that's why Tampa was upset with this particular uh setup for them they they say that you know what okay you're talking about reseeding the the teams in the top four really we're not playing for anything more than than playoff positioning and there's nothing really at stake so they're thinking the high uh intensity will be missing from those contests rather than the the series that the other eight teams in in their conference are going to undertake so they figure they might be at a bit of a disadvantage that way and then carolina's response was they don't like the matchup basically that they wind up getting in the first round because they're facing a new york rangers club that swept them during the regular season they see that as a bad matchup for them but in the absence of this they would have faced one of the top two teams in the conference either washington or boston because they were a wild card club so really not much of a leg to stand on there i i don't know about the Tampa take either because you know what you want to get the higher seed and presumably the easier matchups going all the way through and home ice advantage so really I expect those four teams to play hard in in that Robin series too so again I I don't see much of a gripe uh, or much support that I need to give either of these teams that went against this this proposal and i like you i'm looking forward to to seeing some hockey action i know they're talking about a couple of sites hosting all these games can you imagine it'll be like quadruple headers every every other day and uh boy for those of us who are starved for hockey we're gonna have some hockey widows uh, in a big hurry if this thing <laughs> comes to pass and uh, we're still a long way away they're, they're talking about just phase two of the process where uh, groups of six players can get together and start practicing and uh, so people need to start coming back across the pond if their European players have gone to Sweden or over to Russia even while this pandemic has taken place so there's a lot of organizing that needs to take place the testing needs to be in place as well so it's not a guarantee but at least we can look at forecasting some of the possible matchups in a future show AJ and that's uh, music to my ears for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think what, what's kind of most interesting in some of these scenarios is, um, you know, where you would land if you're you're seated, right? Like, do I want so looking at the Eastern Conference, do I want the number one seed where I'd potentially play Tampa, uh, Tor- Toronto or Columbus, which are pretty hard teams? Or would I be better off with the number two seed and have to play the Islanders or the Panthers? I mean, I think that would probably honestly be better. I'd rather face the Islanders or the Panthers. What I wouldn't want to be is the four seed because then you're playing likely Pittsburgh if they can get past Montreal. Um, so, you know, that's you're, you're competing to get, you know, two or three instead of uh, so you don't <laughs> land at one or four. And, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of the same on the other side. You know, a, a four seed, you're ending up with the Oilers. Um, almost, you know, almost certainly they do have to get past Chicago, but, you know, the three would play Nashville or, 
Arizona, I believe. And so that's, you know, that's not as bad. Um, I, I think I'd rather play, you know, the teams without Connor McDavid and Leon Drysado, right? So you work to get the three there. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But again, let's just get some hockey. And to that end, we'll uh, remind our listeners throughout the show if you have questions about your dynasty leagues, if you have questions about our take on this format, if you have questions about the articles that we're talking about, anything hockey related. I mean, if you really want to get into it, I'll, I'll talk to you about Bundesliga soccer. <laughs> I've been enjoying having soccer back. I know Paul will talk to you about basketball. So any kind of topic, you just uh, give us a little shout out. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. Well, today, AJ, we're going to continue with our series of... Uh supportive podcasts i say supportive because you and kyle have done a great job leading our listeners through columns where you're exploring the way each of the member clubs the nhl will deal with individual salary cap issues over the coming months and you're doing three at three a week and you're offering our listeners a a poll to decide which teams they want to see next and i i understand you're going alphabetical order through these these divisions and i'm wondering if we're ever going to get to the maple leafs or penguins because it's a long way off (laughs) still but uh, there's some compelling uh, discussion with each of the clubs every week and today no shortage with uh, a look at detroit calgary and dallas when we get to them why don't you start us off in that regard yeah absolutely we'll talk i'll talk real quick about what we're looking ahead Um, we're going to start today later off uh, later today we'll get edmonton out there Um, And then we'll go on to we are finally going to talk about a metropolitan division team. We will talk about the Carolina Hurricanes on Thursday and then we'll round out the week uh, Saturday with the uh, Florida Panthers. So we are getting our way through um, and we'll we'll just keep chugging along as as these votes take us. But, yeah, for this week, uh, we'll start it off with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, You know, they obviously have had their struggles this season and a lot of that has to do with cap problems that they've had carryover um, from previous seasons and that's starting to kind of resolve itself in terms of some of these contracts are expiring um, and they're kind of getting away from some of these older uh, you know older deals that that carry high price tags so uh, you look at what they have under contract for next season you're looking at eight forwards five defensemen one goaltender that does include Henrik Zetterberg, who will be put on LTIR. Um, the total commitment there is $44.5 million-ish. Uh, you get that LTIR relief in, in terms of $6 million, just a little over for Zetterberg. They are still, here's a name from the past, are still on the hook for about $1.5 million, $1.6 for Stephen Weiss, uh, who was bought out in June of 2015. So, uh, again, it's fun to have these old names come up sometimes <laughs> on these buyout lists. So, again, uh, throughout this process, we're always assuming a flat $81.5 million cap. So when you factor in the relief and the spots you need to fill, obviously for a fill spot, we're not counting Henrik Zetterberg. Um, so you're looking at just over $41 million to fill 10 spots under the 23-man roster. And it's a big group of RFAs here. So there are some guys that need to get paid um, and, and certainly some decisions to make here. Um, I'll run through the group, uh, you know, kind of quickly off the top and then dive into it. But uh, you're obviously uh, your biggest guy here is Anthony Mantha, who will be an RFA. Tyler Bertuzzi, Adam Ernie, Robbie Fabry, 
Brendan Perlini, Christoph, uh, Christopher N., uh, Dmitry Timoshov, a former Leaf, who Paul knows uh, very well there, and then Madison Bowie uh, on the blue line. So it's you know it's a lot of uh, you know mostly forwards in this group, so a bunch of tough choices. So I'll just check uh, the blue line off easily here. Madison Bowie had a pretty good season for them once he came over. Um, I think he would have hit the twenty point mark for you know if the season hadn't shut down. So I think you give him something around a two-year, $2.5 million deal. Um, it would be a, a slight bump up from what he's making right now. Uh, probably give him on a, on a one-way deal so you know he won't have to worry about that. Um, so pretty straightforward for him. I think Timoshev doesn't really have much uh, to stand on in, in terms of overall production that would go above and beyond his qualifying offer, which would come in about uh, $735,000. So, uh, we'll start. I'll start with Mantha. He signed that two-year bridge deal. Contract negotiations with Anthony Mantha have never been easy for this club, and they're not get any any easier here. I think the easiest thing to point to is uh, Christian Dvorak signed a six-year, twenty-six point seven million dollar deal uh, in August of 2018. I think you're looking at something similar here, six years in, as far as term, and I would imagine four and a half. Um, I know Kyle thinks it probably will have to be a slightly bigger price tag, and he is uh, arbitration eligible, but you are still dealing with an RFA market here. You're not, you can't go out on the on the open free agency in the same way that that other guys can. So if that becomes our benchmark, right? So six years, four and a half million a year. Bertuzzi, I don't think will be too far behind that. He kind of is in the same boat. Signed a two-year bridge deal at the same time as Mantha. But I think he's going to get a little bit less. So for him, I think four years, uh, a little less term because he's a little less proven at this point and closer to four million on, on the annual value. So, um, again, both those guys are going to be big paid, the kind of the biggest paychecks that they have to worry about here. Uh, in terms of a couple other guys here to, to run through, you know, Ern, uh, Ernie got $1.05 million. But that was technically, I think, signed with the Lightning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe it was signed with, with them. But either way, uh, he's a minus 24, which is a really big deal. Again, Paul and I have talked. We don't want to oversell plus minus. But when there's huge swings like this, if a guy's plus 20, minus 20, I think it, it makes sense uh, to point that out. And so I think because of some of his struggles there, his qualifying offer that comes in just under a million dollars probably makes the most sense. And same with N. Again, another guy, a qualifying offer of 735. I think that's about the best you can hope for for him. Uh, you know, Perlini is going to be a big question mark here. He had a, a really good 2017-18, but then this year, you know, he really dropped off with just four points. Uh, in 40 games this in a contract year and, and that's really difficult for him I pegged this at about a one year one million kind of prove it deal show us that you're the player from a year ago and then finally to round out this group uh, Robbie Fabry I think uh, might be the most I don't think it's going to be contentious for them I just think that's going to be the hardest one for people like you and I Paul to really pin down as to what the team is thinking here he missed almost two entire seasons due to knee injuries when he was with the Blues that's why they traded him because he just wasn't able to get into a lineup after coming back from those but in Detroit got plenty of ice time was really 
you know, I think he can be a 20 goal guy for them um, that he would have gotten there this year uh, prior to the shutdown. And so I, I pegged Pavel Zaka's deal three years, 6.5, uh, 6.75 million uh, signed last summer is kind of the, the benchmark here for Robbie Fabry. And I think that's fair to both sides in terms of a good time with Detroit. He is still a relatively new addition to their team, but I think that'll be the hardest one to kind of project um, from, from our standpoint. So Paul, that's a lot of info to take in. This group had a huge RFA class. So uh, there was a lot to dive into what stands out to you as far as this group. Well, I'll start with the fact that you mentioned that there were six, there are about six or seven guys that are in their mid to late thirties that are still on the books for a little while, but they're starting to clean house here. And so you're starting to see the flexibility that they have uh, under the cap system uh, with all the money that's available. And so uh, the big name, as you mentioned to me, Anthony Mantha uh, is a part of the solution and the, the next wave of successful Detroit teams. He'll be a part of this, I think. And, uh, He'll need to be rewarded for from the base of 3.3 million that he that he's wound up with last year. I could see him getting up upwards of five five and a half on a on a five year deal, like you said. So that's not a bad call at all. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, I also think he's a part of the solution. And uh, if they're smart, they're going to try and lock this guy up for a longer term deal too, coming up the base of 1.4 million. Hard to see him getting anything less than four million on an annual basis going forward. That would be a fair to both sides, in my estimation, for another guy who figures to be a top six forward here and then you mentioned the likes of Robbie Fabry and Brendan Perlini both of these guys uh, coming off entry level uh, and and early career deals at 900,000 and 874,000 respectively both going to get a nice bump Fabry has proven himself as a dynamic scorer in two stops now and figures to be uh, in the mix for Detroit for a while I think three three and a half million in in store for him Perlini didn't do himself any favors like you said last year and uh, might have cost himself a long-term bump and would be wise for him to take a short term uh, to see if he can really prove himself to the next level and the Red Wings will accommodate that because that gives him more flexibility under the cap you mentioned Madison Bowie at a million coming off a million dollars this guy figures to be in the mix for a top four role here for the foreseeable future and I think they get him on the cheap too and uh, could really be in for a bargain here uh, the way I see it because he has an offensive upside that will be uh, given uh, plenty of time, room and time to, to see if he can grow his uh, base of, of scoring and uh, be rewarded later on. So maybe he takes a shorter deal too uh, before he gets, gets the home run uh, part of his career in terms of hitting it big uh, at the pay window. Well, yeah, then we'll dive in. You kind of alluded to it a little bit. We'll dive into the unrestricted free agents here. Starts with Sam Gagne up top. Uh, in the forward complement, and then we switch to a handful of defensemen here in Jonathan Erickson, Trevor Daly, Cody Golubov, and then uh, on the in the Nets, Jimmy Howard. You know, I think the three uh, you've got Daly, Erickson, and Howard all making huge paychecks in uh, over 36 years of age. As we talked about, they've been trying to get younger and younger, and I think by letting Daly and Erickson go. You're opening up roster spots for guys like Dennis Cholowiski and Maurice Sider, um, who will be able to make their case during training camp in, in the coming years. I think the number two spot likely ends up being a, a position battle in camp between Calvin Picard, who I would peg as the most likely uh, one to slot in behind, behind Jonathan Bernier. But Caden Fulcher, I think, could also make an argument as well. So really, I think letting those guys walk uh, is the best choice here 
in terms of Golubov, they took him off the waiver wire uh, in late February, but he, you know, before the league went on hiatus, he managed just two, uh, you know, two appearances. I, in the article I mentioned, unless there's some sort of problem getting Madison Bowie under contract or they have concerns about Chola Whiskey Cider, I don't really see a reason to bring Golubov back. Um, but if they really wanted him, if they wanted a more veteran player, I think a one-year $875,000 contract, something like that, um, would, would be fair and, and, and workable there. Uh, that would peg him, you know, it would be a slight increase from what he was making last year. Uh, it would set him right about the same that they're paying Alex Biga. So I, I think that's really fair uh, there. And then in terms of Gagne, look, this is the second straight year that he failed to reach either the 50 game or the 20 point mark. Now, I know some of his games played was obviously affected um, by the shutout, but this is a guy that definitely should not be expecting to make uh, over $3 million uh, like he did last year in terms of overall salary. The the Red Wings were only on the hook for a portion of that, but his overall cap hit for uh, both the Red Wings and the Oilers was 3.15. Um, so if he's willing to take a pay cut, my max for him, if I'm Detroit, is two years four million uh dollars there otherwise i let him go see what else he can find on the open market we've mentioned all these rfas that need spots in the lineup uh and i think there's a there's a good case to be made uh, for them to to let gagne walk but I, if he's willing to take that pay cut i might consider keeping him around so paul uh do you keep daily erickson howard i mean i basically just said let all these guys walk anybody stand out for you that should be back of the over 30 crowd, I would only look at Cody Goldabuff. You've made a case that they're really thin on the blue line. And if he takes the minimum increase that keeps him under a million dollars, that makes good sense to me. But I cannot defend the, the thought that Sam Gagne should be considered here. AJ, the guy is not delivered offensively. He's primarily known as an offensive player. And so if you're not delivering when that's your primary skill, why keep the guy around when he's, he's going to command $3 million plus and you have all this host of youngsters that we've talked about in the RFA structure? And then there's a couple even in the minors who are going to really battle for a position here. I think it's time to give them a chance and say to Gagne, you know what, maybe you're a better fit somewhere else on a more veteran club uh, as a third, fourth liner. But uh, Detroit doesn't make sense for me and him. It's an easy call also to uh, move on from Erickson and Daly. Uh, Daly, particularly injury played player. Erickson, a very neat, a very cool story, though, for me. He's carved out a very nice career for a guy who was the last pick in his draft year. And, and I always think about that when I think about our friend Jimmy Davilano saying, you know what, you have to make good calls right up to the last pick in the last round uh, because you might find something there. And they did here for a while, a serviceable defenseman who's had a, a long career despite the fact that he was picked so, low, so late in the draft. So uh, there's hope for everyone. But I just think that he's reached the end of the rope here. And uh, again, I think they got to turn the page and get younger on the blue line. So an easy call to punt uh, their way away from those two players and leave Golubev as the only incumbent that I think they might need to sign on the back end among the UFAs. So, uh, and then in the Nets, easy to move on to from Jimmy Howard, who had maybe one of the worst years statistically of any goalie in, in the modern era, AJ. I mean, uh, and that's not to write him off uh, entirely. He had a very nice run in Detroit for a long time and it just uh, is ended poorly is all it is but uh, 
to your point, then they have a battle in the, in the backup role in the, in, the, in the next training camp. And do they go with the veteran Picard or do they look at Larson or Fulcher? They're the two, two guys heading into their age 22 year and uh, both on entry-level deals. So that's the battle of the backups in the Nets. Jonathan Bernier should thrive in this environment because he's best when he's untested. That's what I've seen from him. He performed heroically this past year and he's in the fold for a couple more seasons I, I believe, uh, and well, or at least uh, one more season beyond uh, the end of this particular season. So he'll have the the reins in the nets uh, with an un, untested backup. I'll say. Well, and then just to touch on you, you mentioned guys in the minors. There, there were two uh, guys who classified as as minor league free agents again, who appeared in at least one NHL game this year, and that was Taro Hyros and Evgeny, Evgeny uh, Svechnikov. You know, High Rose had 26 uh, appearances, decent ice time when he was here, struggled to really hold on to uh, his spot in the squad and, and was bumped back to, to Grand Rapids in, in mid-February. You know, a qualifying offer for him, you're looking at uh, just about 875 on a two-way deal. So I could see this being one of those situations where the organization says, hey, we're only going to pay you 800 so it's less than your qualifying offer, but we'll give you a one-way deal. Because I don't really see, you know, with the number of forwards that, that we talked about, especially if they let Gagne go, I just don't see them necessarily not having him uh, on the on the roster next year. So if they're doing the math like I am and they figure, look, Hyros pretty much has to be on the 23-man roster um, just from the players we have, then throw him the one-way deal and, and, you know, save a little bit of money overall in, in that sense. I think in the case of uh, Sveshnikov, again, he didn't play as much in the NHL as Hyros did. I think he's just going to really have to settle for signing uh, that qualifying offer. They'll keep him around for one more year. Uh, on that, he can try uh, and and break into the squad, um, but that has definitely been a struggle for him. Paul, so for me, again, I, I said Hyros over Sveshnikov. Do you flip that? Do you, do you like one over the other? I like Hyrosi better. Uh, he seems to have a, a tremendous offensive side to his game, was a power play add-on during his early audition last year in Detroit and didn't look too out of place. Vet Svechnikov, a highly skilled player, will challenge him, but I'll throw a third name into the mix, and that's Michael Rasmussen. He was a former first-round pick a few years ago. Hasn't really put it together yet in the minors, but in that factory at Grand Rapids, they've developed a lot of guys over the years. I think he gets some more seasoning and could be a mid-season call-up next year, so keep an eye out for Rasmussen and see if he fits into the mix, but the fact that we each come up with two or three names really solidifies the case that I've made earlier that Sam Gagne has no business being in a Detroit Red Wings sweater next year with all the youngsters that are waiting in the wings. The transition is happening in Detroit, and uh, I know that better days are ahead. Moritz Sider and Chalowski, they they uh, are, offer me encouragement for future days as well on the back end. Uh, so I think the the torch has been passed from the older veteran guys that are falling away from this roster and the younger guys taking taking up the 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 rope well and so just to kind of wrap up the red wings here you know even if you look at you know kind of higher numbers for bertuzzi and mantha this is a club that should have about 15 to 20 million um in cap space available and i think that would certainly be enough to consider a couple names out there, the the handful that I I really uh, pegged for them to make a, a, a good run at is Mike Hoffman, Evgeny Dadnov, 
definitely. I think any one of those guys would be a solid addition uh, to this forward complement, which, you know, I, I know we just talked about letting, you know, half their decor go, but I think those youngsters can step in and make a case here. So for me, um, with how young this team is trending, I know we just said, hey, get rid of all the old guys, but, you know, maybe a few kind of mid-range veterans, you know, they they do still have Abdelkader and Darren Helm and Franz Nielsen, but, um, you know, to bring in somebody like a Hoffman who could add some serious scoring punch probably would be a candidate for first line alongside Dylan Larkin um, or Dadenov or, or Toffoli, I think, would be a key signings there. Um, Paul, do you have any final thoughts on our Detroit Red Wings here? Well, you you mentioned they have a lot of room in terms of the salary cap, and I wonder if there is any consideration toward taking a big home run swing on a defenseman like a Tory Krug, AJ. He's a Detroit, a Michigan native, rather, and uh, he's there's been some noise about the fact that maybe he'd want to come home. He's got his Stanley Cup ring. He, he has had a nice career in Boston as a power play, one of the best power play defensemen in the league, quite frankly. And uh, he's coming around the age of 30. So he might like to look at this as an opportunity to get the six, seven, eight year deal uh, locked up. And uh, if Detroit wants to take a big swing by the latter part of that deal, they're going to be a very... Uh, a pretty good team, I think. Three or four years down the road uh, is, is about the timeline that I think that uh, things will turn around there. And he's still going to be in his prime for, a, for uh, that run, I think, when it comes. So uh, getting a look at a, at a guy like that might be something they consider. If they want to spread the money around a little bit and go for uh, looking for more depth in free agency, I like the call that you made on a couple of the forwards that are out there. But really, that would be done at the expense of a, a raft of forwards that they have in, in the mix. So maybe Maybe they go a little bit lower in terms of their vis- uh, vision on the blue line and see if they can get a uh, little more value for the dollar than a big home run swing on Tory Krug. So they have options there in Detroit, and it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we'll dive in next to the Calgary Flames here. Uh, you know, you look at their complement heading into next season, nine forwards, four defensemen, and one goal condor, goaltender rather uh, under contract for just about 70 million. So this club's pretty high up there. They also have buyouts for Michael Stone, which is a unique situation. They bought Stone out in like August from his big contract. And then I think a defenseman got hurt or they needed some help. So then they called him and signed him to a deal in August. So they last season and, you know, potentially next season, but this, this season they both were paying him his buyout number and the contract deal (laughs) that he signed with them during the year so um but back to this uh so again 70 million for their players signed buyouts for both stone and and troy brower that total about 2.6 million so with a flat cap uh you've got just under 17 million for this club and nine spots to fill under the 23-man roster well while we talked about a whole raft of rfas with detroit there's only a couple here um for for the flames and you're looking at mark jankowski Andrew Manjapani and Oliver Kylington. I'll start with the blue line here in terms of Kylington. You know, there's not much of an offensive upside for him. 15 points in 87 games. And so I think, you know, if you're going to keep him around for an extra year, something I would look for is a two year, two way contract worth about 1.6 million. So about 800 a year, that's slightly more than the qualifying offer they could give him. So, you know, you're giving him an extra year of term, a little extra money. I really think 
that's that's pretty fair for both sides based on where he is in his development. In terms of the two forwards here, I think two to three years is the max in, in terms of what we'll see in term. Neither one of these guys has really done like a breakout campaign that warrants locking them up long term uh, beyond that. You know, Jankowski had two really good years, but then struggled this season with just seven points in, in 56 contests. That dip in production probably will prevent a huge raise. Again, I peg something like two-year, $3.6 million overall value on that contract. Manjapani is on a similar trajectory as Jankowski, but a year behind him. This was his big year where he set career highs in goals and assists. And I think, again, a two-year deal that helps retain his RFA rights at the end of it for about $1.5 million annually. So, Nothing really going to break the bank with these guys, but all three worth definitely worth bringing back and worth uh, getting under contract uh, for another, you know, two or three years. See how they continue to develop. Paul, do you have any concerns about that group or, uh, you know, any any difference of opinion? I, I personally think it's pretty straightforward on how to handle those three. I, I agree with your call. And it's kind of funny that the, the guy who was the later round pick of the three has turned out to be the better prospect of all three. Manjapani was, I believe, a six round pick, AJ, in the draft. And as you mentioned, he had a bit of a breakout campaign last season. A good time for him to do so uh, coming off that entry level deal at 715000 He's going to be due a substantial raise, I do think. And I could see them making a case. Does this guy get around $3 million for a few years on a deal? But uh, Jankowski, a former first-round pick, has done himself no favors with what he's done on the ice in the last couple of years and really not taken advantage of opportunities that have been presented to him from time to time. And the same can be said for Shillington, a guy who was a second-round pick and uh, 60th overall, in, I believe, in his la- draft year. And I thought that he would be uh, groomed to be a second or third pairing defenseman here, but things really haven't worked out for him. And a lot of other guys have passed him on the pecking order. One more notable who hit the pay window hard last year was Rasmus Anderson coming off an entry-level deal and now earning $4.5 million over the next six years. That's how you do it, folks. And uh, Shillington did not take note of that and uh, may, uh, may have trouble getting over the $1 million mark. So uh, to your point... The easy calls are re-upping Jankowski and Shillington, maybe for one more kick at the can in Shillington's case. Uh, But uh, certainly Jankowski may have a little bit longer rope. And uh, certainly the guy that looks to be hitting the home run at the pay window is going to be Manjapani, in my opinion. Well, looking at the, you know, we had a a small, quick uh, RFA group. There's a huge uh, UFA uh, contingent here. Um, We've got Tobias Ryder, Zach Ronaldo, uh, in terms of forwards, a ton of decisions on on the defense. I forgot uh, Austin Sarnak as well in in that forward group. But on the blue line, uh, you've got TJ Brody, Travis Hamnick, Derek Forbert, Eric Gustafsson, and the aforementioned Michael Stone. And then they also have a decision in the pipes with Cam Talbot as well. So look, I'll start uh, with with the the non defensive guys. Uh, so. You look at Tobias Reeder, in his previous two contracts, neither time when they expired, he was an RFA. Neither time did the team give him a qualifying offer, which allowed him to hit the unrestricted free agent market. And that's seen him now playing in his fourth team in just six NHL seasons. That says a lot for you in terms of what teams are, are willing to do here. I think, you know, it, at best, he could hope for like a one year, two way contract. 
Um, but I think ultimately Calgary would be better letting him. Well, I think Ronaldo uh, kind of finds himself in a similar situation. They've got youngsters like Glenn Godden and uh, Matthew Phillips pushing for bigger roles. Uh, and so I just don't know uh, if, if Ronaldo can secure a deal here. I don't know how he fits in, even though they could bring, probably bring him back for a relatively minimal uh, cap hit here. And then, look, the team already buried Austin Sarnik in the minors all season long and, and ate the cap hit on doing so uh, and the salary. So I think there's little chance that they're going to bring him back uh, as well. And then I'll, ta- I'll just touch on Cam Talbot. Look, it's possible that he takes takes a, a cut in pay here. Um, but ultimately, I think Talbot may want to try and find somewhere where he could potentially take over the number one. Let's not forget, a couple of years ago, this was a guy that played like 73 games as a starter for the Oilers. Uh, his numbers have never been the same after that year. But this is a guy that at one point was an NHL caliber stud number one goalie playing every uh, pretty much every night. So I can't imagine he wants to come back for a reduced salary uh, to, to play back up to, to Riddich here. And so I think ultimately they'll probably let him walk and, and see if he can find a better option. You know, the other thing, too, is that there's going to be a couple of veteran netminders that they can bring in. Some of the names I tossed out are Thomas Grice, Louis Domingue, Laurent Brossois. All of those guys are going to be uh, UFAs this year and could potentially be signed at a lower value, similar to what you saw uh, Yaroslav Halak take in, in terms of cost. Now to the big question, the defensive group. You know, this is a huge compliment. You've got five guys from the blue line uh, core uh, that are going to be hitting uh, the free agent market here. I think uh, the fact that you have to probably factor in about $2 million for your backup netminder means they're going to have to choose between TJ Brody and Travis Hamanick. I just don't see a way to get both these guys under contract. I think ultimately what you're going to look at is the injury situation in the past to determine how this shakes out. Hamanick has played 70 plus games in just four of his 10 NHL seasons. The other eight or other six, he was all below that Brody this year missed uh, that 70 game mark for just the first time since the lockout year back in 12, 13. This is a much more durable player. Um, I think the four year, $21 million contract extension that Jake Muzzin signed with uh, Toronto would be a good kind of comparable in terms of what Brody would get. Um, the other three guys talking, you know, talking about Gustafsson, Forbert and Stone are all pretty much similar players with limited offensive capabilities. Um, I think Forbert is probably going to be too expensive to retain. Um, he's going to want to look to move up a little bit, I think, from the about 1.9 that he made um, this past season. And ultimately, I think what you get round out to with Stone and Gustafsson, while I would probably pri- prioritize Gustafsson, you know, a three-year, $4.5 million contract, um, I think would be about what they're they're looking at. That might leave them enough room to get Stone as well. Um, but ultimately, I think what it comes down to is Alexander Yellison is a player in the minors. Whether or not they want to bring him back um, or bring him up, rather, I think will factor into decisions on this group. So for to round out kind of that defensive core, I think you re-sign TJ Brody. You let Travis Hamannick and Derek Forbert walk. 
I think you look to see if you can get Gustafsson in. And then if you have concerns about your minor league development, then maybe you try and bring back Michael Stone as well. Uh, Paul, where do you stand on this group? Uh, I'll, I'll have you go with the forwards in the netminder first and then dive into that defensive core. So starting with the forwards, uh, you know, Reader, uh, Ronaldo, Sarnik, and then Talbot, what do you think about those guys? Yeah, I think you got to move off of uh, Toby, Toby Reader. Uh, the guy has just been so hit and miss as an offensive piece. That's his game when it's going well. And really, there's been a lot of gaps there. Ronaldo is redundant here because of the presence of Milan Lucic. They're married to this guy for another three years at $5.25 million. So that kind of greases the rails for his exit as well. And then if you look, that's the forward compliment. On the blue line, you're right to say TJ Brody or Tam- Travis Hamannick, it's choose one or the other of these guys and spend around 4 or $5 million on re-upping them. That's what it's going to cost based on the contracts they're coming off of. You're not going to get either of them to take a big discount from their, that current level. They're lucky, in fact, that Eric Gustafsson didn't reprise his 60-point season from a couple of years ago and regressed a little bit. He's coming off a $1.2 million uh, cap uh, hit last year and probably probably should get upwards of two, two and a half on a longer deal that they should consider locking him up because he figures to be a top four piece and that gives them a really nice look in the top four with the aforementioned Anderson and Hannafin and Giordano. That's still a pretty solid uh, quartet on the back end. And then the consideration that you raised is an interesting one. Michael Stone getting paid twice by this club. And uh, do, they, do they double down on that and, uh, and re-sign him? I think they have to take a hard look at that because he's one of those uh, precious right-handed uh, shooting defensemen. If they pivot from him, then Yelishin, uh, Yelishin g- certainly merits consideration for me. Uh, getting promoted from the minors is a very highly regarded prospect and uh, from the Russian league and uh, we'll get a look here at some point so they have a wealth of options on the back end it's just a matter of seeing which puzzle pieces afford them the greater cap flexibility I, I agree with your call to pivot away from Cam Talbot mostly because they have to figure out what they have on the backup situation when it comes down to, to there between Tyler Parsons and John Gillies both guys in need of new contracts here, but both of them coming off deals that shouldn't require you to pay much more than a million dollars for either one of them in that backup role behind big save Dave Riddich. So that's the way I see this team shaking out, AJ. Some interesting calls, but the limited flexibility means that they may lose a, a player of note here uh, from the main roster. I'm looking at one of those two defensemen who should be highly sought after because they are both those precious right-handed defensive uh, shooting defensemen. Absolutely. And so uh, a quick look, you mentioned some of the net miners that uh, in the miners that need new contracts. There were two guys who appeared in an NHL game this year uh, that will need new deals from the miners. That's Buddy Robinson and Alan Queen. Uh, Both of these guys are kind of fringe NHLers in in that sense. Um, with, With Queen, you know, he really bottom six depth at best. Uh, He's logged 106 games for the Islanders and Flames uh, in his career so far and registered 10 goals, 18 helpers in those outings. He did finish second in scoring with with the Stockton Heat this year, 46 points and 38 appearances. But I just don't think that's enough to really worry about keeping him around. Robinson hasn't played as much at the NHL level, but I think that actually is going to benefit him here where the team might say, hey, you know, we haven't really seen enough of him at, at the elite level. Uh, you know, with the other guy, we've, we've seen it. We know what you offer, and it's, it's not enough to keep. 
So maybe they give him a one-year, two-way kind of prove-it contract, and, you know, seven fifty, eight hundred thousand, something about that. So, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, they're both kind of, yeah, if you need them, guys, if, if you really want. Um, but I don't think either is going to break the bank. Paul, do you like those or any other uh, minor league guys that, that could maybe make an appearance here? I'm looking at Austin Zarnak as a guy that I might take a flyer on, AJ. He was a point-of-game guy in the minors for them and a, and a veteran presence coming into his age 28 season. If you're looking to get a, a forward on the cheap who might replace one of those two uh, expendable UFAs that I mentioned, I would be looking hard in his direction, as well as uh, Buddy Robinson. You mentioned him, another prolific scorer in the minors, so they have a couple of options there. Byron Fraze is another guy that I got a look at here in Toronto. He was useful as a fourth-line player, and if they're looking for a guy on the cheap who has a bit of a physical side, good face-off guy, Fraze might be their man. So uh, some options on the back end. Alan Quine, I, I, sorry, before I mention, Alan Quine is a guy who's been tested in the NHL but really hasn't stuck anywhere, so kind of, for me, has worn out his opportunities. We switch over to the defense, and I look at that blue line. We mentioned Yelishin as the, as the top prospect there. Renat Valiev, another former relief prospect who might get a uh, look if they're looking for a third pairing guy uh, Andrew Nielsen another veteran out of the Toronto systems and a guy I know a little bit about some great leadership qualities in, in his makeup so you can make a case for either of those two ex-Leafs uh, as a possible ta- challenger for third uh, third pairing roles and I also mentioned my thought of, thoughts about the Goldie mix to me it comes down to Parsons or Gillies which one of them has the better camp uh, will get the get, uh, Duke there I think all right. So to round out the thoughts, you know, we've talked about the goaltending situation. We threw out a couple names of who could be available, but I actually think the best guy that they could maybe take a look at is Brian Elliott. He's not quite as old as some of the other veterans that are going to be out there. Proved himself very capable of stepping in when Carter Hart got injured uh, this season. And I really think he would be the best choice there for them. You know, you mentioned Milan Lucic in that contract. And I think every time somebody sees that deal, the first thing that comes up is, well, buy out the contract, right? That's always the answer to buy out the contract. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Partially, because it's a retained salary contract, Calgary doesn't even get the full benefit of buying him out. So the save, you know, some of the savings would go to Edmonton. So as far as Edmonton's concerned, they might say, hey, yeah, buy him out because <laughs> it benefits us as well. Um, but here's the deal. So if they bought out his contract, they would only save in terms of cap hit this next year about $500,000. That's not enough to bring up even a guy on an entry-level deal. You can't fill a roster spot with that much money. So it really doesn't help them there because now you have a hole and no money to fill it. Next year, it would help them in terms of $2 million in relief. But then the year after, you're back to that 500 mark. And then you've got three more years after that where you're eating 500 a year and he's not, um, you know, you're beyond the deal. So there's just too much term. There's not enough savings. I know people want that contract gone. Everybody wants that contract gone. It just doesn't make sense financially. And I wanted to just point that out quick because I know uh, that's a big question that comes up. Uh, Kudos to our friends. I'll do a quick shout out. Our friends at Cap Friendly here. They're the ones who have all that information. You can go look at any contract in the league and buy it out and and see what would happen in terms of savings. And and this one, uh, it just doesn't make sense. So, uh, Paul, any final thoughts on the Calgary Flames here? Or should we mosey on over 
uh, to to Dallas. Well, you know what? I want to give you a, a hat tip for noting cap friendly. I talked to one of the principals uh, principals of that website this past week, congratulating them on the great tools that they have and the information that they provide. And you mentioned one of the better ones that not too many people talk about, and that's these these buyout calculators that they have. So you can go on their site and just do any number of machinations to figure out the impact of the cap on your favorite team. And this is just another add-on that you won't find anywhere else. They do a fabulous job here, and they really want to keep a low profile. I even invited them to come on our show, but they said their policy is they just want to be in the background helping out, and they're quite happy to do that. A couple of them even said, you know, we hold down other jobs because this is not our main thing by any means, but they have a wide range of recognitions from around the hockey world and we're only too pleased to mention them on this podcast as great resources for us so congratulations to our friends at cap friendly you've done a great job and uh, we wish you continued success yeah absolutely and you know every time i mention a qualifying offer amount that's another tool they have there they do the math for us in terms of what a qualifying offer would look like um, for players uh, that are rfas so we'll move on to the Dallas Stars here now and uh, a, a team that's got a pretty um, solid setup here, I think. I, you know, one of the, the better uh, situations. They've got eight forwards under contract, six defensemen, and one goaltender right now, rounding out about 61 and a half. They do have a minimal uh, $450,000 uh, buyout for Valeri uh, Nishushkin. I always mess that one up, but we'll do our best here. So again, assuming a flat cap, you're looking at about 19 and a half with nine spots to fill. The restricted free agent pool is pretty small here, um, but some significant guys that that show up here, and that's Radic Faxa, Dennis Guranoff, and Rupe Hints. You know, for after Faxa finished his entry level deal, he signed a three year, six point six million dollar contract that retained his RFA rights, and that's where we are right now for him uh and i think we're gonna see almost the exact same deal get offered to hints uh he's on the same point trajectory over those over those three years and so i really think that deal just perfectly fits in for rupe hints so three years 6.6 million you know yeah that deal was signed a couple you know a couple years ago so maybe have to go up to 6.8 million or something in, in terms of overall value but i pretty I think it's pretty much going to be on par. They'll maintain hints as an RFA at the end of that contract. Uh, and that is really valuable to, to a lot of clubs. Meanwhile, FAXA is a consistent 30 point producer with the exception of this season. But I think part of that uh, is due to the hiatus though. He would have needed like 10 points in the final 13 games to, to get to that mark. So I think there's no real argument that he had a slight dip in production this year. A good uh, kind of comparable contract here is Marcus Foligno. Back in September of uh, 2017, he signed a four-year $11.5 million contract and was about the same uh, same spot. So for, for facts, I think you're looking at four years, $12 million uh, to, you know, inflation bump, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, for Gurianov, he's probably the most capable of this group of potentially being a 20-goal producer um, and, and scoring threat for them. 
still hasn't played a lot of games. So I kind of think he'll get the three years that that Hintz is going to get. But I think they'll lower the, the annual value to closer to two million um, than about two, two and a quarter that I expect they'll give Hintz. I just think he hasn't played enough games for them yet quite to warrant a bigger deal than Rupe Hintz. But all three of these guys, phenomenal players trending in the right direction. And I think you want to get these guys locked up for an appropriate amount of time. Gurionov and Hoop, uh, Hintz, I think you keep them on shorter deals because you retain their RFA rights heading into the next contract. And then FAXA, I don't think you're going to go huge in terms of six, seven years, something like that. So that's why I landed on four. Paul, what say you about this group of uh, restricted free agent forwards? Well, you know what? They have a nice complement of forwards already in place here beyond next season, AJ. So they're looking for guys to round out that third line, maybe challenge for second line roles. And you've got a chance to lock up a couple of them on the cheap here when you look at Gurianov and Hintz coming off those entry-level deals and looking to me like they're about to take off and really threaten to for a long-term look in a second-line role minimally here. So if you can get them anywhere near the contract values that you're suggesting that were comparable to FAXA, I think you sign these guys up for as long as you can. Uh, both of them, to me, have a tremendous upside. I can see them getting each of them getting in the order of $3 million over a five-year term if they choose to go that route. But if I were them, I'd go shorter term and just say, you know what, I'm going to be better than that, and uh, I'll cost you more in a couple of years if you if you let me go short shorter on a, on a lower contract. So some flexibility here might be lost if these guys do take uh, the, the shorter route, uh, but if they can lock them up long-term at affordable deals, that's what they do. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. FAXA, I think, if they can mirror what they've done, you, you know, give them a, a cost of living increase like you suggested over the 2.2 he signs as well so a uh, good situation here for this club and uh, I, I think uh, they're in good shape in terms of the offensive setup here and uh, so I'll, I'll take it over to uh, flip it back to you to look at the UFAs because they don't have any RFAs on forward or on defense or in net yeah absolutely and so the the unrestricted uh, free agent group a uh, couple of guys at each spot so forwards you've got Matthias Janmark and Corey Perry. Uh, def- defensively, you have uh, Roman Polak, Andre Sakura, and then they do have Anton Kudobin, uh, and then they do also have Martin Hansel. His contract runs up. Look, that's the easiest decision here. Hansel's almost certainly going to retire due to lingering back issues, so they won't have to worry about that. And look, I just don't see a, a reason to bring Corey Perry back. I mean, he hasn't, it's not like he's eating up a ton of money for them. Uh, it's just 1.5 million. They have some room here, um, but you've got guys in the minors like Esperance, Robertson, Caro, all pushing for bigger roles. And I think keeping Corey Perry around just blocks the development of those guys. So I just don't see it being a fit here. I think Yaroslav Halak, you know, we've mentioned him a bunch. Uh, I think that guy's deal that he signed that one year, 2.25 million is going to be a threshold that a lot of teams point to and say, look, this guy is playing way more games than anybody else in terms of backups. And this is the deal that he just signed. And so I think they're going to probably offer Anton Kudobin something similar for another year to, to back up Ben Bishop and, and give kind of some of their guys in the minors uh, a little more time to develop uh, on defense. You know, I really think there's only one spot available for Sakara and Pollock. Now that Stefan Johns is back and healthy, you know, they've got Taylor Fadoon already 
under contract, and he offers a very similar skill set to Polak and Sakara. Um, and again, they've got some minor league leaders in Gavin Bayruth and Joel Hanley for for you know more time. So, I mean, I think if they're confident in the development of both those youngsters, perhaps they let uh, both of these guys uh, walk. But I think at best you're going to get one of them back on a relatively minimal uh, deal here. And then you know we'll we'll look at Jan Mark here, his lowest point total of his four-year career. Again, it was also his fewest games played. Uh, you know, 62 this season. Um, you know, the previous two years he missed just one game in, in each of those contests. I think his consistency is a 25 to 35 point producer. His relatively healthy track record and until this season, I think you're going to land on a four-year deal that comes in in the ballpark of two and a half million. So really, that's how I see this group uh, rolling out. I guess what I'm ultimately saying is I think Janmark and Kudobin are the only ones you really should focus on bringing back. And then maybe you decide between Polak and Sakara, depending on how you feel those youngsters are developing. Paul, do you see the situation any differently in terms of who to bring back and who to resign here? I, I like your call on the Kudobin situation. They really haven't developed anybody in the minors. The Landon Bow is the guy that they're looking forward to down the road, maybe as a goaltender to future. He's going to be in his 20, age 25 season. It's time for him to show something. Otherwise, he might be passed over by younger guys, Colden Point and Jake Ottinger. But they have to buy themselves some time, and they'll do so by re-upping a guy who's entering his age 35 season, a proven backup goalie, one of the best in the game in Kudobin. So I look for him to get... Uh, Maybe a mirror of uh, his last contract, something in the neighborhood of two and a half million. There, you, interesting call on the blue line. Uh, their decision is complicated by the uncertain health of Stephen Johns. This guy came back from a long-term injury absence. He played 17 games last year, but I don't know if you can count on him for a full 82. So that means to me they need to sign one of these other veterans that you suggested. But they too are with a with their uh, injury woes in their history. Polak plays the game hard, and so he's going to get his bumps and bruises along the way. But Sakara, it's an offensive-minded defenseman, uh, plays the left side, and is, is uh, very useful in terms of setting up the, the high-flying fl- high offense here if he can keep himself in the lineup. So uh, you can make a case for either one of them. You want the offensive skill of Sakara or the toughness of Pollock, it's going to come down to a decision of what sort of skill set you want to complement the rest of the guys in tow. And uh, the decision is only complicated by the fact that they have a couple of guys that you mentioned in Bayreuther and Hetherington in the, in the minors that might challenge for a position down the road. But I want you to get more in-depth in the minors than I do. You have a better sense of that in this club, I think. Yeah, so with in terms of guys who have pl- who played an NHL game this year, it's only uh, Joel Esperance. I think that one's pretty straightforward. He's only played three games for the club. They'll hand him his qualifying offer, which will be a one-year, two-way contract worth uh, $735,000. The, you know, the couple other players who didn't get into an NHL game this year that are actually worth talking about, we mentioned the thin net mining situation here. Um, they only have three total, if you include uh, include Bishop, they only have three total net miners signed for next season. Um, and so we talked about Q Dobin, and I, th- I think Landon Bow is a player they're going to want to keep around. But again, it's going to be a qualifying offer situation. They're not going to offer him uh, some huge deal or, or anything like that. They'll give him that qualifying offer and just let that go pretty much. That'll give him three net miners 
who would be like minor league guys for them. You know, I mentioned Bayreuther. You mentioned Dylan, Dylan Hetherington. And then Reese Scarlett is another defenseman. Um, all these guys are set to become UFAs this season. And so um, I think it, it does make for some important decisions. Do they offer a guy like Bayreuther a one-way deal because they want to keep him around? I think he's the most uh, capable of this group. I would consider giving all three of them you know, two-way deals with like two years, probably about the term. But maybe you consider if you look at the rest of it, if you, you know, if you let both those veterans, if you let Pollock and Sicar go, do you give Bayreuth a one-way deal to kind of incentivize him to, to sign? Um, so there's some options here, but some tough decisions too, I think, to make on this blue line compliment. Paul, any other thoughts on the minor league guys here? Well, you mentioned the three defensemen that are in your sights, and I think it's important to remind our listeners that a team gets an identity over time, and Dallas's identity is one of the best defensive teams in overall structure, and they want to make sure they, they plug in a guy or two uh, as depth guys uh, to solidify the third pairing, and in case of injury insurance, they want to take a look at hard look at those three guys, all veteran uh, minor leaguers uh, heading into their uh, late 20s uh, to to only bolster what they already have uh, above the line at the at the main roster so that's a that real important consideration Landon Bowe you mentioned he's come the only goalie that's not signed in the system on the minors but he's the guy I think they have their hopes pinned on more than the other two a little bit more of a known commodity so uh, this might be his put up or shut up contract coming up for him so uh, beyond that though they have a, a lot of depth at forward and, and a couple of interesting options in the minors but I think most of the most of those spots are taken up uh, on the main roster already and uh, if they they look after the signings they should have a real solid uh, set of four units up front very easily so to kind of round out dallas here you you know you would look at about five million to spare um, based on the contracts that that i went through here uh, one idea that that uh, my you know, co-author here kyle used in a previous article was suggesting instead of spending up to the cap uh, at the start of the season to save that money for uh, a, a mid-season pickup. And I looked ahead to a couple players that could be uh, convenient rental options for Dallas if they got at that point. So these are guys whose contracts would expire at the end of next season. They could take a run at a Thomas Tatar, Brandon Saad, or Jaden Schwartz. Um, I think all three of those guys would be for for this forward group and would really help them and would be reachable with about a five a five million dollar cushion especially if you could work out maybe a little bit of retained salary in, in some of those situations so that's what i'm going to suggest dallas does with their cap uh space is is you know if you need to fill out the roster with some minor league guys go ahead and do that and then kind of hold tight until that mid-season mark and maybe take a run at one of these rental guys uh, if you find yourself in a in a strong playoff position Paul, any last thoughts on our Dallas Stars? Well, I, I like the way you opened up the discussion on them, and I'll refer to that. They had a good situation going into the offseason and uh, some enough cap room that I think they can get some smart things done. They have a couple of decisions in terms of the veteran defenseman to choose between one or the other. That might be their most pressing issue, and you wonder if Kudobin wants to really press for a, a bigger piece of the pie in terms of his re-up, but they need to get him signed because... Uh, uh, they're they're a defensive first defense first team and the two goalies have played a key role in that and they don't want to mess with that for sure 
Well, yeah, that pretty much rounds out uh, this week's cap compliance run through. Again, we'll have uh, the Edmonton Oilers coming out later today. Um, and uh, we'll roll through the rest of the week and we'll keep churning these out for you again about three a week here uh, based on those Twitter polls. So really look for those, um, you know, usually toward the end of the week, Saturday, Sunday is about when those come out. Uh, check my, my social media there uh, at AJ Scholes 24 and you can find those polls and submit your requests and, and we can get into those guys right away. All right, AJ, and we pivot now to the other feature that we've been doing on a weekly basis to fill in uh, this gap in, in NHL games that are actually being pay- played. We look back in time to the 2016 NHL draft. I was thinking of ending this series last week, but you said, hey, I want the opportunity to bug you about uh, picking Austin Matthews first <laughs> this week. Don't deprive me. So with, without any further ado, we're going to take a look at the redraft of the 2016 NHL draft. And AJ, your first pick overall. Yeah, I think what makes getting this close to recent interesting is is the fact that, you know, it's you're you have guys that are established, but some guys are just kind of coming into their own a little bit. And so I think it's a it's a it's a fun exercise, at least for me. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty straightforward in terms of number one overall pick. And he went number one overall to Toronto. And that's Austin Matthews. Uh, not the most games played of anybody on this list actually finds himself uh, in third in that that category, but has the highest point total uh, and the only one who's reached the 150 goal mark. So I will go Austin Matthews off the top. What a surprise. <laughs> well, I'm going to surprise and I'm going to pivot off the number two only because to me, it's a coin flip between the two other guys that I would pick next. So I'm going to go away from the forwards and I'm going to pick a goalie. This was a very thin draft in terms of the goalies that have proven themselves in the NHL level. And we've been I've been taking shots at the Philadelphia goalie situ- situation forever. But the answer has been found and his name is Carter Hart. He was drafted in the fifth round by the Flyers here and 131st overall. I'm taking him second overall and locking up my goalie position. Well, Paul, I, I have to say that's a huge mistake on your part because you knew I wasn't going to draft Carter Hart, right? I'm not going to take a flyer. Get out of here. So um, big mistake. You know, didn't uh, didn't think through all your, your choices there. And so that leaves me. I'll go to the number two in this draft uh, and take Patrick Line here right away. Uh, and so really, can you imagine these two guys playing on the same line? That would be a pretty dynamic pairing and pretty hard to uh, compete against and probably would make uh, Carter Hart's life a a living hell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to count on one guy to be a nuisance to both of those forwards, and I'm looking at no further than the sixth overall pick in the draft, Matthew Kachuk. I think when all is said and done, he'll be the second best skater in this draft class, and I'm happy to grab him as my first forward in uh, this particular draft. Well, I'm going to tap into the, the D group here and uh, the, the trade that will haunt Montreal for a lifetime. Uh, they selected uh, ninth overall Mikhail Sergachev, uh, and then they send him down to Tampa. And they have, uh, I'm sure, regretted that ever since. Jonathan Druin has not been the player that they thought he would be, and, and Sergachev has turned into a power play capable blue liner. Um, and so. I think, uh, you know, he may not be uh, the most, you know, may not be the best pick right now, but I think he has the highest ceiling of this D complement. But there are some really good players 
Um, but I wanted to get him right away. I like that pick a lot, AJ, and uh, kudos to you for grabbing him. I think the be- best days in his career are ahead of him, and he's in a great situation in Tampa right now. You suggested Montreal were rude the day they, they traded away that pick. I agree with you. It's going to haunt them for the, a decade, I'm sure. And uh, with that, I'm going to go back to the forward ranks. I'm going to take a look at the Chicago Blackhawks, a guy who has had a breakout season offensively under his uh, uh, recent terms in, in the, with the Hawks, and that's Alex DeBrincat. I think he's uh, rated right now as the fourth highest scorer in this draft class. He won't drop any lower than that and might threaten uh, certainly Kachuk for, for third overall in that class, but I'm happy to get both of them as two-thirds of my top unit here. Well, I will go back to the center, and I will take the guy who went third overall. That's Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, 234 games under his belt, 65 goals in those in those contests. Uh, Columbus, I think, has made a great pick. He's had a few injury um, pop-ups here or there, but overall, uh, I think at this point, uh, very easily the second-best center uh, in this group behind Austin Matthews. So I'll go 1-2 down the middle, Paul. All right, and I'm going to go to the defense, and I'm going to take a guy on the Boston Bruins. I think he's going to be a centerpiece of this team for many years to come, Charlie McAvoy, and his his role may be increased as much uh, uh, very quickly this year if, uh, as we mentioned in the Detroit, Detroit outlook, if they do take a shot at signing Tory Krug, McAvoy becomes the number one def- offensive defenseman in Boston behind uh, the most dynamic uh, forward line in hockey. Uh, this guy is going to be a great power play specialist for years. Happy to grab him at this point in the draft well i'm gonna keep uh do a little bit of a, a run on defensemen here and so i'll take uh samuel garrard who is taken 47th overall by nashville currently playing uh in colorado and has really thrived since moving to the mile high city his numbers uh his point totals are a little bit lower uh than you might expect at this point in his career just 84 points in 225 games but i think that number is going to continue to skyrocket as he plays uh, in in Colorado with uh, what is turning out to be one of the deepest defensive teams right now in terms of the players they have there. And Gerard is a key piece of that. In my fifth round pick, I'm going to the seventh overall pick in this draft in Arizona. Clayton Keller is a key to the offense here. He's playing top six minutes uh, almost from the get-go since he dropped in on the scene here and uh, produced 158 points in 237 games. Best days are still ahead of him, I think, as a centerpiece uh, to this offense going forward. And uh, he is my pick to end the fifth round of this draft. Well, I'll go into the the value uh, market here. Selected in the sixth round, 106, uh, 162nd overall by New Jersey. Yes, uh, he's got 100 points. He's the last guy available on our board here that has hit that 100 point mark, uh, and I think would you know he's getting uh, only getting better still at this point, and, and really going to start churning out some more points. I think honestly, if he was on maybe a little bit better team, um, he would have a higher point total already and uh, i'm going to skip a beat in terms of the straight stats here and look a little bit further down the list of the forwards i'm going to pick luke coonan who's playing with minnesota and i think he's just starting to scratch the surface on the offensive player that he can be and with the fact that a couple of their guys are in the over 30 club he's going to be a key part of this offense for years to come he's got only 52 points to his nhl career in 131 games but i think he's going to close the gap on on that uh, scoring pace and at least be a guy that can count be counted on for 50 points a season going forward 
Yeah, I mean, we're getting into some kind of interesting, uh, interesting choices here. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to go kind of deep down the list here, and, and I'll go with a guy um, a little bit maligned at times, struggled to get into the lineup, but I think offers fantastic upside, and that's Jordan Cairo was selected in the second round, 35th overall by uh, St. Louis. You know, he's kind of a fringe guy for them right now. Um, but again, you know, with uh, they're, they're stacked with forward talent right now. He gets opportunities, and I really think his, uh, you know, development down the road is going to be pretty high here. And so um, I like what he has to offer on the offensive side of the game, and, and I think he's going to develop into a solid second-line uh, player at some point here. Well, AJ, there's a, there's a few defensemen here that uh, are should be going in our draft before it's all over, and I'm going to take the best of the rest. I think... Uh, I can make the case for Jacob Chikrin. Uh, he's made I got 80 points in 234 games and when healthy he's been a real op- good offensive piece in Arizona and they've got he's learning from uh, Oliver Ekman Larson one of the best in the game so I'm counting on him to continue that uh, upward tick in his progress and be a key part of my team and grabbing him in the seventh round is a uh, good value for me. I'm going to take a flyer I'm a, and not an actual flyer I'm going to take a, a long shot on my my next pick here, and I'm going to go with uh, Jesse Pugliarby. Uh The fit in Edmonton has not been there. He's been playing overseas as a result. Um, there's obviously issues, you know, whether it's the player not wanting to play in the minors, um, the team not thinking he's NHL ready. But you look at his numbers this last season uh, overseas, 53 points in 56 games, 24 goals, um, playing in, the, the I believe, the Swedish league there. And so I think um, – He's going to eventually make his way back. I, I just don't think Edmonton's the fit. And it would be really sad to see his kind of NHL career cut short um, because of differences between his camp and, and the NHL club. And um, so I, I'm confident that he'll make his way back and be a solid uh, NHLer once, once he gets another opportunity. And uh, things are getting thin here in this draft all of a sudden. But I'm looking at Anaheim's situation, AJ. They picked a guy in the 30th spot of the first round of that draft and he's learning uh being tutored by the captain there ryan Getzlaff, and i think he's on the verge of uh, becoming a star in this league too and that's sam Steele. i, I see big things for him he's going to get lots of opportunity to play in and in, in anaheim and i think we're going to see soon why this guy was picked in the first round of uh, of that draft in 2016 well, before I have to get to a goaltender, I've got one more pick uh, for an out player. Um, there are a couple intriguing options here. Alex Nylander, another player in a similar camp to Pugliarvi, who's been a little bit, has struggled at times with, with getting in. They had a third defenseman. I'm going to go with Adam Fox, uh, drafted in the third round, 66 overall by the Calgary Flames. Um you know, never really fit, uh, didn't end up signing with the flame, uh, flames, uh, came out of Harvard university. So, you know, he's got to at least be, uh, somewhat educated here. Gotta be a smart guy to play at Harvard, uh, logged 70 games for the Rangers in his first NHL season, racked up 42 points. And I think he's really going to develop into a top, uh, blue liner for them. 
Well, speaking of top blue liners, the Detroit Red Wings picked a couple in this draft, and both of them factor into their future. Uh, in the first round, they grabbed Dennis Chalowski with 20th overall, but I like the guy they picked in the second round, 53rd overall, and that's Philip Ronick. I think this guy's going to be their power play linchpin on the back end for uh, years to come. He showed well at the NHL level already, picking up 54 points in 111 games. That's better than a point. Uh, almost a point every two games, uh, I should say, with quick math going on in my head. And so I think he's going to up only up that pace when he gets a few more reps under his belt. So happy to grab him with the ninth pick. Uh, who's your goalie, buddy? Yeah, so, I mean, there's some intriguing uh, options here. You know, Joseph Wool, who is in the, the Toronto system, I, I think could have made an argument. Connor Ingram for Tampa Bay. Um, but the guy I like the most right now is Adam Werner for Colorado. Uh, had um, some pretty good numbers playing overseas in, in Sweden, uh, joined uh, the minor league system, went 18-10-1 this year, his, his kind of first full season uh, playing in the AHL, a .909 uh, save percentage there, and I think he's going to trend in the right direction for this, this club and, and be a really solid pick for having been selected uh, in the fifth round in 2016. And I did mention about that second Detroit defenseman who was picked in the first round, Dennis Chalowski. But if I want to take a little bit of a look further down in the draft rankings, I, I could pick somebody else uh, like Max Lajoie in, in Ottawa. But I'm going to stick with the forwards and I'm going to go back to the first round and pick Henrik Borgstrom, AJ. I think Florida's building a pretty dynamic offense and Borgstrom showed flashes of being a part of that uh, possible top six down the road, I think, if an opportunity does present itself. And so I could see making a case for him as being a depth forward for now. But if he gets a chance, he might light things up offensively before his uh, career is said and done. So happy to grab him with the last pick in this draft, Henrik Borgstrom of Florida. So, AJ, with that, we've completed now, I think that's the seventh draft that we've done. And uh, I don't know if we take a look at the 2017 draft, it's going to be an in interesting thing with more prospect evaluation going on than, than proven on the ice record. We're starting to see that things are thinning out in terms of players. For instance, like you said, not as many as in previous drafts getting over 100 points uh, career to date. But that's just because we have, you know, they, these guys are only like four years into their careers. And a lot of them have been selected as depth forwards. You certainly mentioned at the top end, though, their star power with Austin Matthews and Patrick Line, and uh, you grabbed them both, so kudos to you for that. But uh, I was quite happy to get Debrinkat and Tachuk to be start, starting to put my offense together. Some, some well-known names, despite the fact they've only been in the league three, four, five years. Well, I mean, I don't have to worry about a goaltender when I've got Matthews and Line playing on a line together. Those guys will just score so many points. You know, it'll be eight you know nine eight wins or ten nine wins but you know i'll, I'll take it very good aj uh, i wish you continued success with the series of articles that you're doing uh, to our listeners please go take a look on the rotorwire nhl website because uh, aj and kyle riley they do a great job uh, laying out the landscape for each of the teams in this uncertain landscape but hey as we mentioned off the top two we might be even talking about playoff matchups in earnest in coming weeks so i look forward very much to that aj yeah, it'll be fun to, to get some hockey going here. And, and honestly, I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of having, you know, multiple games to watch a day kind of, you know, throughout the day and into the evening if, if that's the route they go. Um, so it, it could be a lot of fun. 
could be a lot of PVRing too. <laughs> so, <laughs> looking forward to that possibility for sure. AJ, that wraps it up another episode of podcast for you and I. Our next episode is scheduled a week from today, where we'll continue the series of looks at the salary cap situations and maybe take a look at the 2017 draft as well. Uh, to our listeners, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 